Today is the second Sunday in Lent, and so we continue our uh, worship series on seeking. Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. The page numbers are listed if you'd like to follow along. Uh, As we come to this piece of scripture, let's pause for a moment and let us pray. Holy God, indeed, we give thanks that you do dance for new beginnings. And so we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this place to dance among us as we hear again these fresh words, that you would stir within us a new beginning, that you would give us courage to start over, to seek a new way. Send your Holy Spirit now among us, O God, and fill us. For this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's listen now for a word from God as it comes to us from the third chapter of the Gospel of John. John writes, There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know this for no one can do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, unless someone is born anew, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, How is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. So do not be surprised that I say to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? And Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and we testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses was lifted up on the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved this world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Some people how this usually starts some people as in some people on the block don't like the new neighbors or some people think the casserole needs more salt or you know preacher i really shouldn't tell you this but some people didn't care for the sermon today More often than not, though, the some people talking 
about the neighbors and the casserole and the sermon are in fact not actually some people. Did you know this? But one person. The one person standing right in front of you. The one person who is attempting to covertly disguise themselves into a group of anonymous people in hopes of deflecting responsibility. It's a similar deflection we have seen time and time again as athletes and executives and celebrities and politicians caught in personal scandal step up to the podium filled with microphones flanked by cameras to say, I sincerely apologize and we will do better. It's this use of the word we that has columnist Andrew Fiusi kind of riled up. When I hear powerful people defer personal responsibility by telling the masses that we will do better, it feels disingenuous, he writes. It's always going to be easier to diffuse personal responsibility by diluting the first person with the word we. Because come on, there is no we when you're talking about yourself, just I. This is the predicament that Nicodemus, the Pharisee, finds himself in in our gospel lesson this morning. He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness in order to hide his identity as a member of the Jewish ruling class. He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness in order to protect his curiosity about this man whom the Pharisees have labeled a heretic. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness to say, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know that no one can do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. But as Andrew Fiusi points out, there is no we when you're talking about yourself. There's only I. It's almost as if Nicodemus had said, you know, Jesus, some people say you're a teacher who have come from God. Some people say you can do miracles and signs. Some people believe God is in you. But it doesn't take long for Jesus to figure out that there is no we here. There are no some people. There is only Nicodemus. Which is why Jesus chooses, to, chooses his words carefully. Instead of his common Christological cliche of truly I say to you all, referring to the crowds of people who follow after him, here, under the cover of darkness, Jesus shifts that language to just one person. You. Truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. So don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born anew. The Gospel of John, however, does go on to record Nicodemus's surprise at this statement. But there's something about this text that leads me to think that Nicodemus isn't as shocked as he leads on. There's something that has been rumbling in his soul. 
Something stirring in his spirit, tugging on his heart, toying with his mind, leading him to find Jesus in the dead of night. Since he was a boy, Nicodemus has been raised in a particular way of life. He was educated in the Pharisees' school and synagogues. At the age of five, he began memorizing scripture. By his teenage years, he had entrenched himself in the prayers and the rituals. And when it came time to officially join this spiritual order of Jewish life, Nicodemus publicly pledges himself to a life of purity, to a strict interpretation of the law, to daily observances of prayer, to weekly fasting, and to tithing on everything he owns, from money to the herbs in his garden. To be a Pharisee was to practice the Jewish life in a particular set of ways, in much the same way that monks choose to practice Buddhism or nuns choose to practice Catholicism. But there's been this rumbling in Nicodemus's soul. The prayers and the rituals, the fasting and the tithing, the memorization, the tradition, they just aren't working for him anymore. The things that once provided him with a deep spiritual connection are now becoming obstacles on his journey. And so under the cover of darkness, Nicodemus goes in search of a new way. And what he ends up finding there is Christ. Standing in the darkness alongside him, assuring him that he is on the right path, that the only way someone can enter the kingdom of God is by doing exactly what he is doing, being born anew. The Apostle Paul will go on to talk about this in terms of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Biblical scholar Eugene Peterson describes it like a baby who grows and forms over time. Rachel Held Evans mentioned it as an evolution. And Dallas Willard thought being born anew was a natural progression of faith instead of the popularized one-time profession of belief. It's not just a matter of God so loving the world that he gave his only son so that we may not perish. But more so, it's a matter of God so loving this world that he gave us his son so that we might know how to actually live. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness in search for a new way to live. And in this season of Lent, we are all invited to do the same. Since the 4th century, followers of Jesus have Observe these 40 days leading up to Easter as a time of prayer and of preparation. A time to get ready in order to rightfully celebrate come Easter morning. But there's more to it than just that. Sarah Parsons best describes what happens in Lent when she says, This is a season of joy for us. When we look at ourselves, not so that we can harshly criticize others, but so we can identify the obstacles that are keeping us from God. Oftentimes, we identify those obstacles by giving something up for Lent. A 40-day fast from chocolate or 
red meat or soda or social media or anything which may stand between us and God in this holy season. But what if this year? What if this year we take Nicodemus's lead? What if instead of giving up those items that, to be honest, we should probably already be giving up? What if, what if instead we gave up those things that once provided deep spiritual connection? But they are things that may have become obstacles on our own personal journeys. What if these are things like worship, which once came from a place of joy and anticipation, but now happens from a place of guilt? What if these are prayers which we once said with passion, but we now recite out of routine? What if this looks like giving, which we once did out of purpose and mission, but we now do with a heavy sense of resentment? What if? In these next 40 days, we commit to being born anew by paying attention to how the Holy Spirit may already be changing us. What, what if we commit to being born anew in these next 40 days by committing to not just impersonating old versions of ourselves, as Nadia Boltzweber writes? What if instead we sought out new ways to more fully live? Under the cover of darkness, Nicodemus went out in search for a new way. And in the darkness of this season, may each of us do the same. May each of us find Christ standing alongside us in that darkness, assuring us that we are indeed on the right path. And he is inviting us into a newer, more fuller way to live. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Spirit. Amen.